All right, thank you for listening. Thanks for engaging with us on that. And would you now find your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. Late in your New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4. There are actually two places in Scripture that I want us to go to this morning. They're very close to each other in your Bibles, which will make it easy for you. But I've also included them there in your bulletin so that you can have them before you. And there's a reason why I want to see both of these. My original thought was to focus completely this morning on 1 Timothy chapter 4 and on something that it says there so clearly. But as I was looking at that passage again this past week, I realized it's really aimed very specifically at those in pastoral ministry. It's especially a word to young pastors. However, since pastors are to be an example, it's a big part of what pastoral ministry is, what is said here has application for us all. And even more significantly, what is said here specifically for pastors is said elsewhere in the Bible, many times in fact, for all Christians. And one of those places is the second passage I want us to look at this morning, but let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. You follow along as I read. This is God's Word. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The main thing that Paul is saying there is pretty clear. Pursue godliness, Timothy. Go after godliness. Make godliness one of your chief priorities, one of your chief occupations. This is key to you being a good and effective pastor. And not only is it key to good and effective pastoral ministry, I want to help us see this morning that it is key for all of us as Christians. This, the pursuit of godliness, is another anchor for the Christian life. Yes, pursue enjoyment of God through His Word. Read and enjoy God. We saw that last week in Psalm 1. But don't let it stop there. Go after godliness. Grow not just in your enjoyment of God, but in your being like God. Now, every time I say that, I, I feel a little need to clarify. There are some ways that we will never be like God, no matter how hard we try. You will never be omniscient. We will never be omnipotent. These, what we might call God's divine attributes, what theologians call his incommunicable attributes, they belong to God alone. But God also has moral attributes. He is holy. He is merciful. He is faithful. And he calls us to be like him in these ways. These are his communicable attributes, ways he, want us, he wants us to share his likeness. That's what the Bible means when it speaks about godliness. 
Live your life toward God and let his character shape your character. Be like your father in heaven. That's Paul's point here. You see it there at the end of verse 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Pursue it. Make it your goal. Be intentional about it. Be committed to it. Go after it. And the way he emphasizes that is by comparing it to physical exercise, bodily training, which was all the rage in Paul's day, just like it is in our day. I don't think they had Peloton back then, but it was an idol nonetheless. It's seen in the very metaphor that he uses. Train yourself. Do you see that? Train yourself. A few years back, you might remember this. I, I remember there was a TV special. It was kind of featuring Michael Phelps' training regimen. All of the things that he did to help him win who knows how many gold medals. They did this special on him, and they showed that while he was in training, all, all that he did was basically eat, sleep, and swim. I mean, he ate these insane amounts of food every day, and when he was not swimming or in the gym lifting, he was sleeping. Now, I know that's an extreme, but that's the image that Paul is tapping into here, a focused, purposed training towards some goal. We, we can sometimes be very focused and very committed to things that have to do with our image or our reputation. Paul is saying, make godliness a focused, committed pursuit. And look at how he heightens this in verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The truth is, there is some value in bodily exercise. I mean, Christianity actually puts a very high value on the importance of our bodies. The Christian life happens in the body. That is how God intends us to live our lives here and now. God made us profoundly physical. Not purely, but profoundly physical. And even though our bodies are marred and weakened by sin, they are, they are still a wonder. I mean, the abilities that God has given us to move and to do things, I mean, the human body is a marvel. And we would all do well, I think, to be more regularly conscious and thankful to God for the wonder that they are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, it is remarkable to have a body that we can work and play and move in, and someday God will fully redeem and glorify these bodies. They'll be transformed into perfection. Won't that be amazing? <laughs> and so it really shouldn't surprise us that Paul says bodily training is of some value. I don't know about you, but for me, bodily exercise helps clear my mind. It, it can relieve stress. It helps keep my body healthy and my systems working. It seems to help me have more mental energy and creativity and mental perseverance when I exercise. It brings me joy to move my body and push it at times. It brings a measure of joy and strength and stability to my soul. The main thing, I think, is it keeps you fit. Not as some end in itself, but fit for usefulness ready to be put to use 
So it's not hard to understand what Paul is saying there when he says bodily training is of some value. It's not hard to see the benefits. But Paul's point here is clearly not to promote physical fitness. What he's saying is that while we all recognize there's some value to physical fitness, it's very limited. And of far greater value is the pursuit of godliness. And I think he means it. Look at verse 8. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Your physical exercise is only good for a very limited amount of time. But listen, you cultivate godliness and you will have a rich and fulfilled and God-blessed and fruitful and effective and satisfying life now. And it prepares you and it promises joy in the life to come. And then look at what he says in verse 9, as if to just put an exclamation mark on this whole thing. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So, Timothy, pursue godliness. Go after godliness. Make godliness a goal. Use every means of grace available to you. Prayer, time in the Word, other believers worshiping and gathering around the Lord's table, having God's Word poured into you, use confession of sin, use serving others, use accountability, use all of these means to train yourself for godliness. And this is where the second passage from Titus comes in to provide really helpful instruction. So let me ask you now to look at Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14, you follow along as I read. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Please notice Paul is talking about the very same thing here, you see that word godliness again. In fact, it shows up in both its negative and its positive forms. Verse 12, to renounce ungodliness. And later on in that very same verse, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, lives marked by godliness. Except here, it's clearly addressed to all of us. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us training us to renounce ungodliness. And we might read that and think, wow, is that even possible? I mean, maybe it's one thing to expect pastors to live like that, but me? Is this possible in my life? And what Paul does here is provide some really helpful truths for us to not just guide our understanding, but to strengthen our resolve to help us go after this. So let me just briefly point out three things in the time we have left here. First, let's make sure we understand the source of this, what makes this even possible, and not just possible, but actual, a reality in our lives. Let's look at the source, verse 11. 
for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. I mean, let's be super clear here. My pursuit of godliness is not primarily about me trying harder. God calls me to make effort, but it's not primarily about me trying harder. In fact, by myself, I'm sunk. There is still such a struggle with selfishness and other indwelling sin in my life. There can still be such a tendency to resist what is good and pleasing to God. Even though I'm saved, I can still deal with those desires to do what is not pleasing to God. And I know you deal with them too. Indwelling sin is still so much with us and so strong that our own strength is not sufficient. I mean, praise God for the truth of what is said in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us. It's God's grace that is at work. God's help. God's provision, God's supply of strength and wisdom and perseverance. Listen, it's clear on just about every page of Scripture, God must do something to help us. And he does. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. This is perhaps the great truth of the Bible. I, I don't know why I'm saying perhaps. This is the great truth of the Bible at least as it relates to us, God saves. God is a saving God. The other religions of the world, they're all, they all traffic in fear. They're based on fear. You have to work or do stuff to placate God, to get back into his favor somehow. That's not how it is with God. Our God is at heart a saving God who loves sinners and who has mercy on us even when we hated him or wanted nothing to do with him. His desire is that all should be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, he rescues and he forgives not based on anything we've done religiously or otherwise. He saves out of his own great heart of love. What what does the prophet Micah say? Who is a pardoning God like you? And what does just about every other prophet in the Bible say? God delights in his loving kindness towards us. It is his nature to love, and therefore it is his nature to save and forgive and display grace, even when we don't deserve it. And that grace wasn't just to rescue us initially. No, that grace, God's grace, do you see it? It trains us. God's grace is working for us now. He's helping us. Listen, God has promised to be at work all the time in your life if you're a Christian. Through your trials, God is teaching you to pray and depend on him. Through your suffering, God is teaching you to endure. Through your fellowship with others, God is helping you to see areas in need of growth and encouraging us in places where we are growing. Through our worship, God is teaching us joy. What is the source of energy 
in our training for godliness, it is God's grace, and he loves to give it. Second, what is the substance, the the content of this training for godliness? Well, look at what the rest of verse 12 says. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. See, there's both a negative and a positive to this training. There's things to stop doing and there's things to pursue. We are to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, things that reflect more the values of the world and are not pleasing to God. We struggle with all sorts of things like this, right? I mean, every time I say that, I just, <laughs> I just wonder, can you relate a little bit? Um, I mean, it's so interesting. Right here in this book of Titus, Paul is instructing another young pastor, Titus, that he, Titus, has to teach certain things to certain groups in the church. Titus, teach the older men to be sober-minded. Why must he teach this? Because they struggle with it. Teach the older women not to slander or to drink too much wine. Why must he teach that? Because they struggle with it. Teach the young men to be self-controlled. Teach the younger women to be self-controlled. Why? Because they struggle with that. Why is it necessary that Titus, as a young pastor, teach these things to Christians? Because even as Christians, we're prone to sin. So think about your own life for a moment. Where is the struggle? Maybe it would be better for me to say, where are the struggles? Is it in the use of your tongue tendency to gossip, tendency to complain, a tendency to misrepresent the truth, a tendency to use coarse, maybe even profane language, all of those are not like God. Is it in the use of your eyes? Is it in your appetites, the things that you go to, to take into your mind or into your body? Is it with reference to your honesty, your integrity, your financial dealings? I mean, part of training for godliness is turning away from some things, any things that are ungodly, and God's grace is training us to do that. And then pursuing, actively pursuing what is godly. Paul names some things here, self-control. I mean, what a godlike and God-pleasing thing is self-control. Right choices, right priorities, things in proper balance, a clear conscience, And Paul says upright. What he means by that is living by God's standard. And all of this, living in a way that honors God and reflects his character. Friends, surely someday we will be like him. We will see him as he is and be in his presence. But even now we can take on and reflect his character. Is that possible? I mean, look down for a moment at the end of verse 14 to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's not just possible. It's something we can be zealous about, eager for. Listen, we all know this is a process. Do not be discouraged as you admit your need for growth. God knows growth is a process. He was the one who decided that this would 
kind of be an ongoing process in our lives and not some dramatic just one-time event. Growth is his idea. And it's his grace that is at work. Please notice this. Training us. Training us. All right, one more thing we must see here. We've seen the source. We've seen the substance. Please notice in verses 13 and 14 the motivation. Paul tells us here there are two things that ought to greatly motivate us in our training for godliness. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So first we're motivated by what's ahead of us. What Paul calls here our blessed hope, the appearing, the second appearing of Jesus. Now let's remind ourselves when the Bible uses that word hope, it's not talking about some you know, finger crossing, I hope so, kind of thing. No, biblical hope is a confident expectation of something good that's coming. And here, the thing that's coming is Jesus. We've set our hope there. And that coming reality is a huge motivation for our pursuit of godliness. I, I want to be primed. I want to be ready. I want to be fit. I want to be eager to see him. My incentive, my desire to pursue godliness is greatly increased the more I think about him coming for me and me seeing him in all of his fullness face to face knowing that at that point I will be finally and fully set free from the very presence of sin in my life. Nowhere to be found. I mean, what would God's salvation be if it wasn't ultimately to deliver us from sin entirely? I'm longing for that, and it motivates me to pursue godliness now. But what might be even more potent in its motivation is what we read in verse 14, what God has already done for us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. I mean, the sheer gratitude that we should feel for this, for what God has done. Listen, Jesus did not die just to forgive your sins. Now, he did that but not just for that. He didn't die just to rescue us from hell. Now, he did that, but not just that. He gave himself. Do you see what it says in verse 14? He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Jesus gave himself to rescue us from sin, to purify us. Listen, there is not a sin in my life that Jesus didn't intend to set me free from by his death. There is not a single sin in your life that Jesus didn't intend to set you free from by his death. In Christ, if you are in Christ, we're not just freed from the penalty of our sin, but we're no longer under, did you see the language that Paul uses? We're no longer under the possession of sin. We are now his possession, a people for his own possession. We're his, we're held by him, we're safe in his hands. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How did that happen? 
Mark the words. He gave himself to redeem us from ungodliness into godliness. Look at how verse 14 ends again, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. What gratitude we should feel. And what a motivation to pursue godliness with all our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your words so clear, so graciously convicting, and so helpful and so sufficient. God, I pray that you would now, as we've heard your word, grant that your spirit would be at work in us, helping us to apply it. We want to be faithful, not just in listening on Sunday mornings. God, help us to live according to what we know to be true. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in all of those who've put their trust in Christ and who helps us. Thank you for your grace training us even this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.